a better way. James chapter 4, look at with me at verse number 6, please, as we read Scripture tonight. Notice what the Bible states in James chapter 4, verse number 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Father, once again, we need your help. We need your wisdom as we look at the word of God tonight. Teach us, I pray. I pray that you would fill me with thy spirit. Holy Spirit of God, I yield myself to you. Guide my thoughts, guide my tongue, guide my words, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, for Christmas, my two older boys were given a gift. Uh, David and Jonathan were given the gift of a model ship. And they were been working on putting this model ship together. It was one of those where it didn't take a lot of glue, but just simply needed to be snapped together. And uh, they were doing a wonderful job at it, nearly done with it. And as they were putting one of the final pieces on, on the back of the ship, they noticed that there was a problem with one piece. I remember walking into the lounge and they were working on it and I saw David taking his fingers and just jamming it on that piece, trying to get it in. And he said, it couldn't, it's not snapping, it's not fitting. And I looked uh, and he kept pushing and pushing and pushing, trying to make that piece fit where it was supposed to go. I looked and I saw what he was doing. I said, be careful, you'll break the ship if you push too hard. You know, the Bible teaches us in James chapter 4 that the brethren were having some difficulties. In verse number 1, let's remind ourselves of the context here. From whence come wars and fightings among you? James was addressing here some conflict among brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. Those that worship the same God, those that serve the same Savior, they were at conflict with one another. And the Bible teaches us that, this, that these brethren were fighting and warring one with another. They were trying to make something fit that didn't seem like it would fit. When David and Jonathan were working on that ship, I reminded David, once again, be careful. If you push too hard, you'll break the boat. You'll break that ship. If it's not fitting like it's supposed to, there may be some problem. There may be something out of alignment, something that hasn't quite fit together like it's supposed to, if it's not fitting properly. I remember him looking at the ship, and he looked quickly at it and began pushing again shortly thereafter and pushed and pushed and pushed. 
And I reminded him again, be careful. If you push too hard, break it. Remember that if it's not fitting properly, there's a reason why it's not fitting properly. If it's supposed to go there, and it's made to go there, then the reason why it's not fitting is because there's something out of place. He looked at it again for just a moment and pushed again. And after a couple of minutes of pushing it, he passed it over to Jonathan, or I think maybe even Jonathan said, here, David, give it to me. You know, I'm the younger brother. I'll show you how to do it. I'm smarter than my older brother. I'm smarter than the average bear, and uh, I can take care of this. And so Jonathan took the boat, and he began uh, pushing as well, trying to get it, trying to push a little different than David was, and still was not going. Once again, I told him, be careful. If you push too hard, you're going to break that ship. If it's not fitting, it's because there's something out of place. There's something out of alignment. Something is not aligned right. He stopped and he looked. I saw him looking for a few moments and suddenly he pushed something and all of a sudden a little snap. Not a snap as in, oh no, it's bad, but a snap like something clicked together like it was supposed to. And then he pushed that part. And when he pushed that part, guess what? Suddenly, click, it just snapped right into place like it was supposed to. There was something slightly out of alignment. There was something slightly out of place. And because it was out of place, it was not fitting like it should. James saw the brethren struggling to try to make a peace fit. They were trying to make maybe wills or maybe uh, some, uh, uh, something in their own heart and life fit among the brethren, and they were pushing and pushing and pushing, and it wasn't fitting in place. It wasn't clicking. Instead of things clicking together like they were supposed to, instead of a church or brethren being unified around the gospel, instead... There was contention. Instead, there was fighting and warring. God tells us, though, that He helps us to make things or to have things fit properly in our lives. Notice what the Bible tells us in James chapter 4, verse number 6. But He giveth more grace. We'll come to the rest of that verse in just a moment. But God tells us through James, his half-brother, that God gives more grace. God shows a better way. These brethren were at contention with one another. These people were fighting. They read the same word of God. They prayed. They came and worshipped and heard the same preaching and teaching, and yet there was contention, there was fighting, there was warring among them. And James says, there's more grace, there's a better way. He's saying, look, God can help in a way that is greater than your understanding. Oh, what an incredible thought that is. God gives more grace. He shows a better way. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. We've defined it over and over again and we'll remind ourselves of this definition that it is a help or God's strength 
That's what it's speaking of, favor. It's God's help. It's God's strength. It's God's support. We often use that term. It is God undertaking and being that which we need. And God helps and gives more grace. If we do things His way, if we show and follow His better path, God gives great grace. Grace that is greater than what we can accomplish through our wills and our motives. He then refers us to a portion of scripture. James says, Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. James has taken this from a portion of scripture found in the book of Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. I hope you have your Bibles and have been following along. If not, it's on the screen, but it'll be helpful and help you to stay awake uh, in your warm homes after a rainy, or a, on a rainy evening. Uh, snowing a little bit when we came into the church here, and it'll help you to stay attentive for sure. Proverbs chapter 30, or 3, excuse me, verse number 30. The Bible says, Strive not with a man without cause. If done thee no harm, Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. If we had time to read more of Proverbs chapter 3, we would see a context and a fuller context than what we see here. But these verses give us an idea, help us to see exactly what it is that God is speaking to or Solomon is teaching his son. Solomon is teaching his next heir about the friendship or what his companions can do to his heart and how they can turn his heart if they are not careful. And he warns his son of those who are wicked, those who are envious, those who are striving with a man without cause, those who enjoy being in a house of the wicked, those who are froward, those who are wanting to uh, cause strife and contention, those who are wanting to cause harm. And the Bible, Solomon is speaking here saying, look, be warned of these things. These are not company these are not friends that you want to be a part of and then we come to verse number 34 watch it with me and this is where james 4 6 comes from surely he scorneth the scorners that's where god resisted the proud comes from in james 4 6 he scorneth he resists those who are proud who do not want to hear the truth who mock the truth who think they are above the truth, who think that the truth is something that they could sneer at and ridicule and that it's simply one man's agenda or one man's philosophy instead of God's philosophy. The Bible speaks of that being a scorner. And God says he will scorn or he will resist the scorners. He resisteth the proud. But watch this in verse number 34, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. This is where James pens, but giveth grace unto the humble. God loves a humility. 
God loves a humility that comes and says, God, your way is better than mine. You know more than I know. You're stronger than I am. You're wiser than me. You know better than I know. And because of that, I am going to humble myself. I'm not going to resist or mock or ridicule what your word is teaching me. Instead, I'm going to humbly accept it, knowing that you give support, you undertake, you help those who humbly yield to what you teach. Solomon ends Proverbs chapter 3 with this statement in verse 35. The wise shall inherit glory. Who are the wise? Those who are lowly, those who are humbly seeking the Lord. But shame shall be the promotion of fools. God teaches us a clear contrast of Scripture. Those who humbly accept the Lord and accept what He has for us, God gives great grace. God teaches us and shows us many illustrations throughout His Word of those who have resisted, scorned the Almighty God. The Bible speaks of one doing so in the very first generation from Adam and Eve. God, of course, made Adam and Eve and one of their sons, a man named Cain, resisted God by trying to earn his own salvation through works. What I do ought to be good enough for the Lord and I can come to God on my own terms and my own way. The Bible tells us that God resisted him. God did not accept his sacrifice, for his sacrifice was his own works, instead of coming humbly with a proper sacrifice. The Bible speaks of a man named Nimrod, who organized a group of builders to build a tower called Babel, the Tower of Babel. They wanted to build this tower to reach unto heaven. It was truly a society that was based upon humanism, pride, and a one-world society that could make itself independent apart from God, showing that they did not need God, that God was an afterthought. He was something that was just a an afterthought or for those select those who decided to want a relationship with him. But the Bible tells us God resisted them. God resisted them so much that he confounded their language and that tower became nothing more than a simple piece of history and words. Destroyed. Pharaoh declared, who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Pharaoh resisted the Lord. He said, I don't know the Lord. Why should I listen to him? Why should I heed his voice? Why should I look at his word? God certainly resisted Pharaoh. He would lose his firstborn as well as his own life 
in a sea that God parted for his own people. Nebuchadnezzar resisted God. He lifted himself up in pride and said, look what I have done. At that moment, the Bible tells us Nebuchadnezzar became an animal, literally. He would be driven out from the kingship. He would be driven out and he would feed in the grass of the meadows for seven years. God would restore his kingdom when he come humbly to the Lord. You see, God resists not only those who personally resist the Lord, but also kings and those and rulers who resist the Lord. The Bible speaks of a wicked man named Haman who was in great political power in Babylon. Haman, a wicked man, would try to kill the enemy or kill the Jewish people, God's people. Haman would be resistant to the Lord and would end up losing his life as well as all of his family. Alexander the Great would be cut off in his prime for his pride and for his uh, uh, arrogance of power. Napoleon would end up losing his own power and losing his own agenda of war by something as simple as snowflakes that would stop his onward march against Russian territories. Voltaire, a man who disclaimed the Bible and said Christianity was bound to be exterminated, would suffer great horrors upon his own deathbed, such horrors that terrified the nurse that was looking after him, shaking her to her very core. And then the very Bible and the very Christianity in which he claimed was doomed would begin uh, being printed from the very properties in which he owned before his death. God does not suffer defeat. And those things that look like they are defeat are things God uses for good. God truly uses these things to humble us and to keep us humble, recognizing that we, all, we don't have all the answers. We need a God who does. We need a relationship with the God who does. We need a walk with the God who does. We need an understanding that we need to come before the Lord himself and humble, look to God and say, you're right. What I'm trying to do is not fitting, not working. Would you show me how to do it, Lord? Would you teach me how to place that piece there? I've been trying to make this work and it's not working. You could take James chapter 4, verses number 6 through 10, and you could apply it to any relationship. We're speaking of brethren, as James speaks, but you can take this principle and you can apply it to your husband. You can apply it to your wife. You can apply it to your children. You can apply it to those relationships around you and watch God do a work in which only he can. Sometimes we want to take our relationships and we want to force some things to make everything fit just like we think they should. And sometimes God says, I want you to simply humble yourself before me and allow me to teach you what's supposed to fit what an incredible god we have when the israelites humbled themselves before god they began to see god bring them salvation through the blood 
they began to see their captivity that would be turned to freedom. They began to see God bring his great and bounty in provision and in protection. God would give them direction and God would give the Israelites victory over and over and again in battles. God truly helped them with amazing grace. We sing that song often here, and I'm glad we do. It's a wonderful reminder, especially with it being written just a few miles from where we are. But may I remind you of not the first verse that we often think of, but yea, another verse. We often sing, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed.'" Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will see me home. You see, grace helps. It supports. But grace is accessible when it's done with a humble heart. A heart that seeks God, that knows God is doing what is best. And when a heart recognizes the humil- or comes before God with humility and recognizes and resists pride but welcomes a, a, a humbleness, God begins to do some things. God begins to bring some victory. I want us to see, first of all tonight, victory from God. I have two points this evening. Don't worry, the second point has many subpoints, and so no, it's not going to be just a couple of minutes, uh, just in case you're wondering. James chapter 4, look at verse number 7, if you would please. Notice what the Bible says. Familiar verse. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, we look at that verse. And we are very familiar with a portion of that verse, are we not? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We like that. We look at that part of the verse, and we even teach and speak and preach from it often. However, we must understand the strength of the devil. You know, the devil is stronger than we are. He is more clever than you and I are. He is not afraid of me, and he's not afraid of you. He is older, he's more experienced, and he knows how to deceive us. He is so powerful that when Michael the archangel opposed the devil, he would not do so on his own strength or on his own standing. That's how strong the devil is. That even the archangels will not come to him on their own strength or on their own standing. The devil ravaged a man named Job. In just a short time, Satan destroyed all of Job's finances, left him with absolutely nothing. The devil destroyed his property which then in turn destroyed all of his children, killed every single one. The devil would inflict disease upon Job that would cause him to sit upon ashes, scraping himself 
with a piece of broken pottery. Satan, the devil, turned his wife and even his friends against him, filling his life full of troubles, strife, and great, great depression of heart. If he can do that to arguably the greatest Christian at that time of the generation, that time of history, he's not afraid of you, and he's not afraid of me. He's not afraid of our strength, our power, or our stamina. You see, our standing is no match against the devil. This is why James does not tell us to resist the devil. So wait a minute, Pastor. We just read it. It's right there. It says resist the devil. No, no, no. We often skip to that last part of the verse, but if we skip to the last part of the verse, we have taken this out of context. Look at what the Bible tells us. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. The first thing you and I need to do is to submit ourselves to our holy God. The full context of Scripture is us humbling ourselves before a holy God and submitting to what He has to teach us. Jesus demonstrated this very principle. He was an illustration, perfect example of what James clearly is teaching. In James chapter 4, verse number 1, notice what the Bible teaches us. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness, be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said, What is these words? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What did Jesus do? He submitted himself to the Lord. He submitted to his Father, to his instruction. Then the devil taketh him up into an holy city and setteth him up on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down for it, is written now satan is using god's own word against god the son notice what satan says he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone jesus said unto him it is written again thou shalt not tempt the lord thy god what did jesus do again he submitted himself to his god to his father notice the bible continues again the devil taken up into an exceeding high mountain showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto them all these things will i give thee if thou would fall down and worship me then said jesus unto him get thee hence satan for it is 
written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only thou shalt serve. Again, Jesus submitted himself to his Father. Then notice what happens. Then the devil leaveth him. After Jesus submitted to God the Father, the devil fled. Moses found himself in a similar situation. And Moses, like Jesus, submitted himself to this very same principle. Go with me to the book of Numbers, the Old Testament. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. If you go to the book of Numbers, chapter 14, notice what the Bible tells us in verse number 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And the children of Israel murmured. There's that strife. There's that contention. There's that warring and fighting. Is, not that, not to, is that not the situation in which we're seeing here in James chapter 4? What did they do? They murmured against what? Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? They said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. There's warring and fighting going on in the congregation of Israel. Again, these are people who have seen the mighty hand of God. Now they're stating, let's go back to Egypt. This is a generation that has seen God perform over and over and over again. Miracle after miracle after miracle. They have seen God's provision year after year after year. They have seen the mighty hand of God. And now they're saying, let's go back to Egypt. And notice what happens. What did Moses and Aaron do? Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation, the children of Israel. When the devil stirred up rebellion, when the devil stirred up strife and warring and fighting among the brethren, what did Moses and Aaron do? They fell on their face before a holy God and before the people that they were leading and guiding, and they let God perform justice and judgment. God acted immediately here, but notice if you were read the entire story and read through number 16 and other portions of scripture in which Moses and Aaron did this exact same thing on multiple occasions over and over and over again. They did not force a timeline. They did not force their will. They simply, in essence, got out of the way of what God wanted to do, submitted themselves to the Lord and said, God, we are going to pray. God, we are going to know and follow your word. God, we want to simply submit our will to yours and allow God to take care of the situation. My friends, so often we as Christians, we struggle with our relationships because we want that 
piece of the puzzle to fit right in at right now without any waiting. And sometimes God is looking for us to simply submit ourselves in a humble manner, praying and knowing his word, seeking the mind of God and allow God to fit in the piece of the puzzle. My friends, you can't change anybody. You can't force your husband to do a thing. You can't force your wife to do a thing. You can't force your children to follow a certain direction, but you can get on your knees before a holy God. You can submit yourself to God and allow God to make that piece fit, to put the pieces together in a way in which only God can. I'm reminded of a man by the name of Tom Williams, no relation to myself. He's an evangelist. He's been in evangelism for many, many years. He was in a shop and he wanted to witness to the lady that was at the till as he was getting his uh, or uh, uh, paying for his uh, goods that he wanted. And as he stopped at that till, he looked at that woman and he said, would you allow me to share with you a few scriptures about how you can know Jesus? She began to protest as she looked at the queue standing behind uh, 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 Tom Williams and seeing the people there wanting, of course, to get uh, to check out and to, of course, to be able to uh, leave and to go about their ways. And as she began to speak and protest, he looked at her and he took off his hat that he normally wears. He normally wears a cowboy hat. And he put it down and he says, I was, I've been praying that you would. Suddenly the demeanor of this woman changed. Suddenly there was no more of a protest, but just a submissive heart. She said, okay. And so there, for the next minutes, Tom Williams began to share the gospel with this woman. Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. The man who was there with Tom Williams said, I couldn't believe my eyes. He said, I watched that cue, and as I watched those people, it was as if God put a holy hush upon their hearts. None of them questioned or began to murmur or complain about the time that we were taking. They just simply stood there, patiently watching, Tom Williams led that woman at the till to Christ. He got his belongings, gave her a gospel track, and walked out the door, and the queue continued to go, just as if they had not been standing there for those many minutes, waiting for this woman to get saved. How does that happen? It happens by submitting yourself to God. So often we rush to resist the devil, but you cannot resist the devil on your own merit or on your own power. You need God. If we are going to see the devil spurned in our Christian life, resisted and him flee. It's not going to be because of our great Christianity. It's going to be because of our great God. 
And we need to understand the great power in submitting ourselves to God. It is our place to submit. To submit. To say, yes, God, you know what's best. And let God do his work. And when we submit to a holy God, God does a work that's far greater, far better than what we ever could. Sometimes we're just pushing that peace in. God says, I have a better way. Let me help you see what I have for you. There is victory when we submit. But secondly, tonight, and we'll try to get through as much as we can this evening. We might have to carry this over into next week. Secondly, there's a change in course. If we submit ourselves to God, and we do so, with a right heart and a right spirit. The Bible teaches us that God changes the course of our life. I want you to see, first of all, as we look at this change of course, about the change in position. Notice what the Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse number 8. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Adam and Eve before they sinned, walked with God and wanted to be with Him. They were nigh to God. They were close. There was no break in their relationship. It was in harmony. It was fluid. It was what God desired. It was what they desired. But when they chose to eat of the fruit that God had told them not to eat, When sin came into their lives, what did they do? They hid themselves from God. They were lost. And God would come and find them. They were lost. And they needed to be found. You see, that's what Calvary does. Calvary comes to draw us nigh to God. That's what the gospel does. You see, before we're saved, we're like Adam and Eve, hiding, afraid of what God might say, afraid of what might take place, and we ought to be. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. If we fall in the hands of a living God and pay for our own sin... We will spend eternity in judgment in a place called hell. But when Calvary enters the picture, I love what the song says. All the love that drew salvation's plan. All the grace that brought it down to man. All the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Thank God for Calvary. Thank God for that wonderful relationship that can be enjoyed and that we can celebrate and that we can truly partake in and once again have that wonderful, beautiful harmony between father and son, between father and daughter. Thank God we can walk with our father. Thank God we can walk with our Savior. What an incredible thing that is. But that gulf, that break in relationship is mended by Calvary. But here's the sad thing. As Christians, 
as children of God, sometimes our hearts can grow cool. And when God says, I want to spend time with you, we say, you know, I've really got to do this. You see, I really need to spend a little more time at work. I really need to get on to this project at home. And God, you'll forgive me if I don't walk with you today, right? Then a day becomes two. And two becomes three. Then it becomes a week. Then it becomes a month. Before long, God is a distant thought, even though we are a saved child of God. Our relationship with Him is distant. Oh, it's not broken, but that fellowship is distant. We become what Jesus parabled. In Luke chapter 15, look at it with me tonight. The Bible says in verse number 11, as Jesus gave the story, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living, and not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the, with, with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he had come to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Sometimes that's us, isn't it? Sometimes we come to place and we say god you've been good to me and because you've been so good to me you know i I really don't need you right now i want to go my own way for a time after all you've provided me with a house you've been gracious with vehicles you've been gracious with a family and everything is clicking right everything is working well right now and you know God, things are going so right. I'm going to try to time away. And at that time is when we begin seeing how much we need the Father. It's when we begin seeing that that substance that we enjoyed with the Lord becomes empty with the world. It becomes vain. It becomes that in which swine would eat. Why am I partaking of this? Why am I going this direction? Why am I doing this? And before long, we find ourselves empty like this prodigal son. We find ourselves full of hunger and care, 
full of wanting and desire, seeing that none of the things that the world promised is fulfilling or is sufficient for our needs or for our heart's desires. And we find an emptiness in our heart and our soul that nothing but God can fill. May I ask you tonight, are you tired of that emptiness? Are you tired of a walk that's contrary to God and away from God? Are you tired of that emptiness that the world claims is fullness, but you say it has no taste like what God is? Reminded of an older couple, a dear husband and wife who would drive especially in their early years of marriage, in an old vehicle, an old car with the bench seats in the front. In this generation, you think cars used to have bench seats in the front? Yes, there was a time where cars just had one long bench on the front. You would sit one next to another, and this old couple began to reminisce. She began to look at her husband and say, Dear do you remember how we used to sit so close together as we would drive down the road? The man responded, yes, I do remember. She said, dear, do you remember how as we sat near to one another as we drove together that we would kind of snuggle together and just enjoy the closeness of one another? He looked said, yes, I do remember that, dear. She looked at him and says, why don't we sit close to one another anymore? Why don't we snuggle with one another as we drive anymore? The husband just simply looked and said, dear, I haven't moved. How many times we look and say, God, I remember when I would read your word and it would burn in my heart. God, I remember when I would pray and I would weep and I would come before you and those tears were fresh and real and I could feel my prayers coming to your wonderful throne of grace. God, I remember those times in which I would tell people the gospel and it was hot and it was vibrant and it was zealous in my heart. God, I remember those times in which I would come to church, not because it was my weekly duty, but because I wanted to and I longed to and I wanted to be with God's people and enjoy the fellowship of what God has for us. God, I remember those times. The prodigal son soon realized what he had and what he now missed. But I love this. In verse number 18 of Luke 15, we see the prodigal son stating, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him 
had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servant, Bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring in his, on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. What an incredible story. What an incredible parable. You see, God, our wonderful Father, has never moved. He's still the same. He's still the same. He has never changed. And our wonderful Father, just as that prodigal son's father continues to look, he continues to look, he looks down that road wanting to see our heart that begins to take that first step back to him. The Father is waiting to receive us. He is waiting to draw nigh to us. He is anticipating the return. He cannot wait to see us once again. He cannot wait to welcome us with him again. He wants to be with us. He wants that fellowship. He wants that vibrant relationship. He desires it more than you and I could ever possibly fathom. And he's waiting for us to recognize, God, I'm tired of living the way I am. I'm tired of going the way of the direction I'm going. God, I want you. I want your walk. I want to be with you. And oh, my friends, we need that today. My friends, there is a great need of revival today of God's people coming back and drawing nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. My friends, we need revival today, but the reason we don't have revival is because God's people don't want revival. We don't want to come to God. We don't want to draw nigh to him. For if we did, we would see revival on our land today. God was anticipating our return. He's looking. He's waiting. May I implore you to come home to the Father. My friends, if you want to see God put the pieces of your relationships with one another into their proper places where everything fits. There's no forcing, no trying to make it fit any longer. We need to understand to submit ourselves to a holy God. Watch God resist the devil and draw nigh to him. We need revival going back to God God hasn't moved he's there and he'll welcome you back with open arms my friends may I encourage you tonight to change your position to change our position let's stop feeding on the slop of the swine Come to God.
recognize he can make everything right. It begins with